to the Gospel of Luke, the 19th chapter. Uh, we are moving uh, in this series of messages called The Path to Calvary, and between now and the Sunday before Resurrection Day Sunday, Easter Sunday, we'll be taking this uh, journey. I appreciate Eric filling in in two weeks, be in prayer for him uh, as he's got an exciting passage that he'll be bringing. Today we're looking at Luke chapter 19, and we'll begin in just a moment in verse 41. Thursday night, July 12th, 1979, will forever live in infamy in the city of Chicago. Bill Veck, who was the owner of the Chicago White Sox at that team, the team was putting out a bad product, and so people were not coming and spectating their games. Bill Veck, who was an innovator and a creative guy, thought that he came up with one of the best ideas to get people to come out to a midweek doubleheader. And he developed or contrived in his mind uh, what was called Disco Demolition Night. Uh, it was right near the craze of disco music, and he was going to play on the emotions of all of the people that despised disco music. And so he was allowing people, if they brought their vinyl records, uh, they could enter the game at half price. They could deposit their records in a bin. And then between the two games at center field, he was going to blow up all of the records. Records. That wasn't all that blew up that evening. Uh, first, as people began to enter, uh, they didn't all deposit their disco records in the bin upon entrance. So during the first game, before the uh, planned uh, destruction of these, people took them like frisbees and began to throw them out on the field. After that, there were firecrackers and golf balls and bottles and everything. Rusty Staub, who I remember when I was young, was a famous baseball player, was playing at that time and he said he had never experienced anything so dangerous in his life he said all of us were looking for the bat helmets to protect ourselves but undeterred Vec decided even after the fiasco of the first game that he was going to move forward with the destruction of these disco records at halftime the only problem was he miscalculated the emotions of the people. 7,000 people began to storm the field as uh, fiery shards of vinyl began to light out from the blown up bin at center field. People were dodging things, getting hit by things. They began to rush through. They were stealing bases. They were destroying batting cages and literally tore the field up so bad they could not continue with the second game. You know, as I thought about that uh, mishap, and that's a mild misstatement, it reminds us how ill-conceived plans accompanied by uncontrolled emotions can lead to a lot of problems. But the fact of the matter is, in any situation, whether it be in a public setting or in our own lives, if our emotions are uncontrolled, it often leads to damage. 
philosophers and philosophies have understood this over the years, and so they have sought to address the issue of emotion. The Stoics promoted a life free from any emotion. In fact, you would be considered virtuous if you could maintain a poker face, if you never showed emotion. The fatalists taught that everything is controlled by an impersonal force, thus your emotional response to what happens is really of no validity at all. Nihilists, in a similar vein, reject truth and morality Man's just a cog from whom emotions have no place. But the fact of the matter is, emotions are a part of who we are. If you were to go into a waiting room in a doctor's office or whatever and, and see a child that began to laugh immediately, you would begin to feel an emotion of joy. If someone were to take your parking space you had been waiting for and circling for a minute, you'd be filled with emotions of a different uh, sort. But the fact of the matter is, if we try to repress or we try to deny that we're emotional beings, we are actually defying us because we are created with the beautiful ability to express emotion. Is it wrong when our emotions control us? Yes, it is wrong. But we are people of emotions. And aren't you glad that our God is a personal God? He's a God of emotion. I don't know about you, but when I go through difficulty in my life, it's good to know that he cares for me. The scripture says, cast your care upon him, for he cares for you. It's good to know that when we see injustices in society, as we looked at uh, today in our Sunday school lesson, or injustices in our own personal lives, that God himself is moved by such things. With that in mind, I want you to look with me at Luke chapter 19, beginning with verse 41 and reading to the end of the chapter. It said, as he, that is, Jesus approached and saw the city, he wept for it, saying, if you knew this day, what would bring peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you on every side. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone on another in your midst because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. He went into the temple and began to throw out those who were selling, and he said, It is written, My house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Every day he was teaching in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people were looking for a way to kill him, but they could not find a way to do it because all the people were captivated by what they heard. Let us pray. Father, as we look to your word today, and as we look at two expressed emotions of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that we can gain a window into your nature and into your heart. Father, we thank you that you are a personal God, that, Father, not only are you all powerful, but you're all caring, and that, Lord, you are not uh, a God who is far removed from us, while, Lord, you are distinct and far greater than we are, but, Lord, you're a God who has reached down to us. You came to this earth through Jesus. 
You lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, and rose again. Uh, these two emotional responses that Jesus had in two distinct events, we pray, Lord, that we would begin to possess the heart that you possess, that, Lord, the things that move you would move us, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the context for uh, this morning's text is sort of a follow-through with where we looked last week. As you remember, last week we were studying Jesus' triumphal entry. The crowds were uh, shouting out, Hosanna, and there was a great time of celebration. The Lord Jesus Christ entered uh, into the holy city on, on the foal of a donkey, a humble entry into the city. We talked about how Jesus was not overly impressed uh, while he received praise. He wasn't distracted by that because he knew why he was heading to Jerusalem. He realized that by the end of the week, the great crowds would sort of fall apart and that he would travel that very lonely trail uh, to Calvary. And so as we look at the first part of our text today, the picture we have is that of Jesus entering. And in the midst of the crowd, what he began to do is to look beyond and look into the city. And that look led to an emotion-filled event in his life. Then we move on to the second part of our text where he goes into the temple. And while the scripture doesn't tell us the next day, we know uh, from our study of the scripture that in all likelihood this didn't immediately follow uh, his uh, crying over Jerusalem, but was all likelihood the next day as he entered and saw the activity that was going on on that Monday prior to the Passover feast. And so as we look at it here, we see that Jesus was filled with emotion. You know, emotions, they can be like fire, can't they? They can be good or they can be destructive. A, a fire that is uncontrolled can do much damage. And when our emotions are lacking control, we too can bring much damage. However, we would all agree that a controlled fire is a good thing. It can provide light and warmth. And so emotions that are calculated, emotions that are controlled are a good thing. And so this morning, we're going to see two different emotions from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Two different days, two different events. Both emotions, while they were different, were good. They were each right expressions of what he observed. And I want to bring that out too, that Jesus observed. We've talked about this path to Jerusalem and how his eyes were set on Calvary, yet he didn't miss the opportunities that were before him. He realized that he came for the sole task of giving his life for us on the cross, and he was prepared to do that. But as he was doing that, he was observing what was happening around him. And so in verse 41, as he approached the city, he saw the city. And he didn't just see it with physical eyes. He was really absorbing the spiritual state of that city. You know, I'm glad that God is marked by emotion. In the days of Moses, 
we saw that he became angry when the people complained. God had done so much for the people. God was prepared to do so much for the people. Yet in the wilderness, they began to complain. They begged for food. They begged for water. They said, oh, if only we could be back in Egypt where we knew our next meal was coming from. They were complaining and they were complaining. And God's anger did uh, issue forth toward them. I think back how God was moved in the days of Haggai after the Babylonian captivity when the people were coming back into the land and God's expressed desire was that they began to center again in the holy city of Jerusalem around the temple and it was the desire that the temple would be built but you know historically it didn't happen in a timely way. In fact God through the prophet Haggai demonstrated his emotion his being upset with the people. He said, you're living in your paneled homes. In other words, you're doing your service, getting back into society again here in the holy city, but yet my house lies in ruins. And so throughout the Old Testament, not just in those two cases, but other times, we see where God is expressing emotion. And then today we see God in the flesh. Jesus moved to emotion, first through tears over the distressed state of his people, and then moved to anger toward those who were desecrating God's house. God is a personal God. He is not removed from us, from our emotions. He is distinct from us, and he is transcendent but in a unique way as the only being there is. He is both other than us, yet expressly, emotionally connected to us. I don't know what you're experiencing right now, but you're not alone in your life. God himself is concerned about you. And so today we see tears, we see anger, we see that things matter to God, people matter to God. Two distinct events, two distinct emotional responses, but both demonstrate that Jesus cared about things. You know, our emotions reveal our values and our priorities, don't they? If you were to take a 55-gallon drum and set it out in my backyard and begin to burn the newspapers that are in my house, you would solicit very little emotion from me. But if you were to take that glove box that I've mentioned that my great-aunt made, that it was the first thing from her estate that I desired to possess, and you were to burn that, you would solicit a lot of anger. Why? Because really newspaper isn't that important to me but this possession is important. In fact, that brings out another truth. Not only does emotion uh, determine what we value, but the things that we uh, value more greatly will bring greater emotion. For instance, if I knew of a child in our community uh, that uh, was being picked on on the bus, I would become angry. But if that child were my granddaughter, I would become in all likelihood very angry. 
And so emotion is really a natural response to that which matters. And so as Jesus looks out over the city and he cries over the city, what he is saying is not that buildings matter, but people matter to me. Buildings couldn't think. Buildings couldn't reject him. It was people. And as he looked out over the wrong activity that was going on in the temple, he was moved because the sacred things of God were important. Today, I want to look at each of these two events. And in the first one, in verses 41 through 44, we'll see that people matter to Jesus. Verse 41 says, as he approached and saw the city, he wept over it. Now, you know, I, I think of weeping, you know, a couple of tears coming down and quietly, you know, sniffles and things like that. But if you go back and look at the meaning of the word, it means that he was literally sobbing over the people. He was in agony. Now, think about it. Looking back to last week, here's Jesus getting uh, his way, moving his way into the holy city, and the people are euphoric. They are praising him. Uh, the, if they had had a band, there would have been band music celebrating him. And so they were rejoicing about him, and he was sobbing over them. I mean, imagine what a contrast. Why did Jesus cry over the people they did not understand their excitement their emotion while it was well intended was not well founded in fact they often did not understand why he came in verse 43 he said if you knew this day what would bring peace but now it is hidden from you they thought that peace would be that he would militarily deliver them from the hand of the Romans. But that was not the peace that he came. He came to bring peace with God, that people would place their faith in him. But the nation had missed him. They rejected him. They were following a caricature of him, of the Jews. John writes in John 1.11 that he came unto his own, but his own people received him not. You say, well, pastor, they received him. Look at the excitement they had last week. They received him. They worshiped him. Well, I would respond, how many of those were still there on crucifixion Friday, just five days later? And there lies your image. Many of the Jews, they were worshiping their own image of who Jesus Christ was not who he truly is. You see, we need to be very careful of the caricature of Jesus. We often see pictures of Jesus with blonde hair and blue eyes. I don't know many Jews that had blonde hair and blue eyes. All right? but, but it's not just our physical depiction of him, but sometimes we impose our view of who he is from who he truly is. Sometimes we begin to, to develop the Jesus we want him to be rather than looking at who he truly is. You say, well, how do I know who he is? We must study the scriptures. We must be led by the Holy Spirit. And so here were these Jews. They were God's people. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 10, they're known as the apple or the pupil of God's eye. The pupil is the most sensitive part. It speaks to the fact that he cared about this nation. And he does still care about this nation. 
You see, God had a purpose for Israel, and he will have a purpose for Israel. God's intent for Israel was found in Isaiah 49, 6, that knowing why he came, that they would be a light to the nations to be a salvation to the ends of the earth. And I believe God will fulfill this through Israel uh, during the tribulation period, that there'll be a great turning to God through the witness of the Jews. But at the time of our reading here in Luke chapter 19, at this particular time, the people did not see it. They did not know it. And so they missed it. So in these two weeks, as we've been looking, Jesus was not moved emotionally by the applause around him. He's an emotional being, but he was focused on the will of the Father. But we see here that he is moved by his love for people. God loves people. As I began to think about this more and more, it, it didn't just stop with Israel. Because what was God's purpose for Israel? That it be a light to the nations. And so if Israel at that time had known who the Messiah was, they would have fulfilled the prophecy at that time that was desired for them that I believe will be fulfilled in the end time. But at that time, they would have been the light collectively. And as a result of that, all of the people would have been blessed through them. And so as he looks out and he's grieving, he's not only grieving the fact that the Jews missed their Messiah, but he's grieving over the fact that they missed his whole purpose for coming. And in doing so, people in the nations were not coming to know him. And God desires us to be a light. He wants our neighbors to know him our work associates to know him, our classmates who don't, do not know him to come to know him. We see in these first uh, few verses the pain that Jesus had over those who did not know him. Are you burdened by the people in your circles who have yet to know the Lord Jesus Christ? Is your desire, are you moved with, with the pure emotion of great concern for their spiritual war, welfare rather that they would know the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I want you to see that Jesus not only had the emotion of love, but he had the action of love. Because in just five short days, he would head up Golgotha and he would give his life for those very people. But I want you to see before we move on that Jesus was not just concerned about their spiritual well-being. He was concerned about their physical well-being. He speaks about, in verse 43 and verse 44, about the destruction that was getting ready to come to the city. And we know that that prophecy was fulfilled in just about three decades after that, a little over that, when the city of Jerusalem would be destroyed. And you know what? It bothered Jesus. It hurt Jesus to know the suffering that they would go through should they live that long that their children would go through. And so as we see that, we see his emotion. We see his emotion. But I want you to see secondly, in verses 45 and 47, not only did people matter to the Lord, but God the Father's honor mattered to Jesus. Verse 45 tells us that he went into the temple. This was not at that time the temple proper, not the holy place or the holiest place. It actually was the court of the Gentiles, the exterior part 
of the temple, and he saw an activity that angered him. People were not treating sacredly the house of God. You know, when I was young, I was taught to respect the house of the Lord. I, I didn't run in the church building. I can remember my mom scolding me. I'm sure she probably spanked me, but I wasn't going to be running when I was in there. I wasn't going to be shouting. I wasn't going to do those things. And I was taught, you know, this is the house of the Lord. Now, we need to understand that's just a facility. And God is just as much in the workplace as he is in the church. And he's very much, if you're a Christian, in your life. All of these things are sacred. But the house of worship is just that. It represents our worship of the Lord. And so Jesus enters the temple area, a place of worship, and he sees all type of activity going on that bothers him. There were money changers who were exchanging money in the general temple area. And it wasn't bad that they would do that because there was a need for the exchanging of money and the provision of animals for the sacrifice. Again, the context of this, this is just a few days before the Passover feast. People would travel all over the known world, Jews, to come into Jerusalem, and they needed their money changed, just as if we were to go into another country. One of the first things you would do is find a way to exchange currency. Uh, it's not likely that the people would bring their own animals with them so when they arrived as part of their sacrifice they would need to purchase. It wasn't bad that the activity was going on. The problem was the motivation behind the activity. Those who were exchanging the money, who were providing the animals, they were gouging people. They were taking advantage of people who were in need. It's much like if you go to uh, the, the store and you buy a bag of popcorn, you can get it uh, for 50 cents or a dollar. If you go to a movie, you pay $10. In other words, what was happening is they had a captive audience. They knew that they could sell it, and they could sell it for what they wanted, and rather than serving the people they were serving their pockets and Jesus became angry Have you ever thought about what angered Jesus very rarely was it the person that we say is from the other side of the track what angered Jesus often were the religious establishment who missed it and who were leading people down the wrong path so here were people who were, quote, unquote, providing a service, but Jesus saw through it, and he was angered. There was little reverence for God. They thought that they could use God's house to make money for themselves. You know, we're living in days today when there's little reverence for anything. Lives are not valued. Marriage is not valued. The Bible's not valued. The church is not valued. People are disregarding. If you see on television today, uh, Christians are depicted as being buffoons. There's little reverence for the things of God in our world today. As the church, we need to reemphasize the sacred nature of the things of God. Why is that? Because these things matter to God. I love what we see in verse 47. 
we see a great replacement. Jesus replaced the money changers and their activity with the teaching of God's word. Verse 47 says, every day he was teaching in the temple. You know, the thing that we see about Jesus here is his emotion is followed by action. In the first, the emotion of the grief over those who really did not know him, it, it did not stop him from the action of still dying for them. Here, in the emotion of anger, he, he acted by removing that which needed to be removed from the sacred place and replacing it with teaching. What transforms lives? The Word of God. The Word of God spoken in the power, received in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, one of the primary purposes of the church today is to be the voice of the Lord, to speak the word of the Lord. If God has given you the gifts and the beautiful and privileged opportunity to teach God's word, you need to take that as a sacred treasure. Notice what Jesus is doing. He is moving toward the end of his three-year public ministry, and what is he still doing? He's teaching. He's teaching because when God's word is quickened by the Holy Spirit, it can transform a society. And so Jesus replaced man's intent, the money changers, with God's intent, the word of God. I wonder today, do you devote yourself to the daily study of God's word? If Jesus considered it important enough to focus on the last three or four days of his public ministry, how important is it for you to be led by God in studying the Word of God? If you want to do that and you're not sure how to do that, I would love to talk with you. There are devotional materials that can help facilitate that. We have here the table to my right. Um, but don't let anything itself substitute just the study of God's word and so Jesus was teaching in the temple I love that Jesus emotions in both of these cases were accompanied by action you know emotions aren't bad no matter what happened in Chicago in July of 1979 I, there's a part of me maybe an impish part of me I would have loved to have seen that fiasco maybe there's somewhere I could see it but the fact of the matter is we are emotional beings when those emotions carry us away it's not good God doesn't want us to have but when our emotions flow through with pure motives with love for God, with love for people, with a desire for God's name to be lifted up. It's a beautiful thing. People matter. The things of God matter. And our emotions should be accompanied by action. I want to read from 1 John 3, 17 and 18. For if anyone has this world's good and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds the action of compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. Jesus followed his emotion with concrete actions. I wonder today, 
Do we possess the same heart of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we care about people? Do we care about them physically that, that they're taken care of? Do we care about them spiritually that they know the Lord? If we do, then what are we doing about it? Do we care about the things of God, the things that are sacred? What are we doing in that area? What, what stand will we make? I'm not telling you to go out and pick it. I'm not telling you to go out and, and protest and do all these things. But looking for concrete ways that we can accompany our good emotions by doing something about it. You see, Jesus wasn't just an emotional being. Jesus is an emotional being who very specifically died for your sin and my sin and rose again. I wonder if you've trusted him today. There's no more important decision you can make in your life than to say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you. I need you in my life right now. Let's pray. Father, as we have looked at your word this morning, we thank you that you're a God who is personal. I thank you, Lord, that people matter and things matter to you. You're not indifferent. Lord, you're not remote. You're not unconcerned. But, Lord, you're concerned for every one of us. Lord, if there be any here today who, like these Jews, as he looked over the city, have not known truly who you are, I pray that your spirit would strive with those individuals, draw them to you. Father, give us a heart to see people trust Jesus Christ and become followers. Father, we're not seeing enough people being baptized, not seeing enough people trust you lord it's not that we worry about numbers lord they're in your hands but father we've got to be planting the seeds father give us a heart for the people that we would be the light you've called us to be and lord help the things that matter to you matter to us and i pray it in jesus name amen